This episode of Casa Conversations is brought to you by Ogun Gear. Go ahead and check out the links down below and use the code ARMEDATLAS at checkout to get 10% off of all sorts of gear from range bags to plate carriers to t-shirts, all sorts of stuff available to you, my listeners. And guess what? You'd be supporting a small black-owned business trying to make some waves in the two-way space and make sure that you guys have quality products for your training. Check them out. O-G-U-N-G-E-A-R. Ogun Gear. Welcome to Costly Conversations. Um, I'm excited to have a guest on today, uh, Johnny Rivera, aka Nani, um, from Gumdrop LLC, um, Gumdrop Academy, uh, firearms instructor, constable, uh, and and a couple other things. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the show. Absolutely. All right, all right. Well. Um, we're going to be going over a couple different topics on today's conversation. Um, one of the most um, interesting topics that we're going to talk about is you are, in fact, a, a three-time breast cancer survivor. Yeah. Um, congratulations. That's a huge deal. Glad you're still Thank with you. us. Thank and of you. course, um, uh, you know, we want to share your story for those who may be going through something or need some encouragement or mm-hmm. just maybe are curious to hear what those experiences are like. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you at working in law enforcement as uh, a black woman, I think mm-hmm. that's that's always interesting. You know, obviously yeah. you have some unique experiences and, um, you know, as a firearms instructor, I think you have a lot to offer um, mm-hmm. the audience in regards to just talking about your experiences and um, your perspective. So yeah. hopefully we can cook up some fresh perspective today on, okay. on the show. And of course, we'll, we'll go we'll go from here. Okay. Um, so Nani or Janique, what? I will call you Nani just for the show. Um, okay. How are you doing today? Like, what's going on? I'm good. I'm good. I feel really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you on. I know we've been we've been planning this out for was it a few months now at this point. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So let, let's go. Um, okay. Well, I know I know we'll 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 save the um, the breast cancer story for just a little bit into the show for those who okay. maybe want to skip to it. But mm-hmm. let's go ahead and just talk about your day job. What do, what do you do when you're okay. when you're not talking to me? <laughs> okay, so um, I'm a constable. Um, I work for the state. Um, so I do law enforcement and constable work, state security work for any state buildings, um, courts for the state of Delaware. Um, what I do is um, I take intakes, I take um, violation of probation, I do um, forthwith, I do um, pretty much anything the judge wants me to do, um, sometimes bailiff work, um, unfortunately evictions and, you know, mm. things along those lines, yeah. How are evictions? That's, I mean, everything that you said is like super interesting, but it's like, man, the evictions, especially now that like COVID's been going around and people mm-hmm. have been kind of out of work. Like, what, yeah. what is that even like? So um, they just started up again. They were on hold for quite some time because of COVID. So they just got um, started up again. So uh, it's rough. It's very emotional, especially when people have children. So, mm-hmm. um, it's very emotion driven. You have to kind of uh, take your emotions out of the situation, even though you kind of want to be lenient to people. Um, sure, yeah. It's kind of like one of those what the job description is type of situations. Yeah. I don't do much of it. Um, 
because of my health, they try to keep me inside and I do uh, work with the judges and um, different things like uh, fourth whiffs and people just turn themselves in, people trying to clear their KPSs and stuff like that. Yeah, that's what I right. usually do for doctors. And for, for the ignorant like myself, what in the world is a KPS? Um, <laughs> so um, say you go to the DMV and... Mm-hmm. They say that you have like a suspended license or something's wrong with your license. Um, a KPS and warrant, people kind of get them a little bit confused. KPS is more of a traffic violation as mm. opposed to um, a warrant is when, you know, um, a warrant is out for your arrest. Like you can't mm-hmm. follow up on anything. You can't proceed with anything um, judicially with a warrant. With the KPS is more traffic driven. Okay. Okay. So, like, if your license may be suspended, that's yeah. one of those situations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Got you. Got you. So you're you're the one who has to deal with those yeah. those of us who, <laughs> who who get involved yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And what what what's like a regular day in the life look like for you? Like when you check you clock into work, you're you're moving, you're shaking. Like what are you what are you doing mm-hmm. during the day? So um. Basically, right now, I'm stationed inside of the courthouses, any state buildings or courthouses, that's where I'm at. So when you come in, you let me know what you need to do. Um, You go through screening as far as no cell phones, no electronics or anything, just because they don't want you to be able to record judges and the proceedings and everything that's happening. So Mm -hmm. you come through security, make sure um, you don't have any weapons or anything on you. Once you Mm -hmm. come through, you process through with um, one of the clerks. Um, You speak to, it's kind of like an arraignment. You speak to um, someone that is in charge of whatever um, police department you're dealing with, whether it's county, state, Um, city, whatever it is, you speak to someone in regards to whatever your complaint is, whatever your charge is. And then you, um, you can, you see if you can alleviate it with them. If not, then it goes forward with the judge. Um, You can either decide to go to trial or you can um, handle everything with that, with that um, liaison. Yeah. So I kind of just monitor the hearings. Um, make sure everything goes according, make sure people are following the rules pretty much. All right. So Nani, like take me through your, I guess when you interact with people who either find out or I don't, do you, do you tell people like just regularly? Oh yeah. I work at the, I work at the court. I'm a, I'm a constable. Do you like change before you come home? Like what's that like for you? Not necessarily. So um, a lot of people know that I'm a firearms instructor um, Mm -hmm. because of my Instagram and just because a lot of people know me. So when they come into the courthouse or wherever I am, um, some people notice me before I notice them. And um, sometimes people are a little bit um, embarrassed at the fact that they have to be in court um, Mm. and they see me and they're like, oh, you know, well, what can I do? Or, you know, is there something that you can help me with? And, um, or, oh my gosh, you're here. You know, that type of reaction, like, what are you doing in this position? And then it's kind of like, a, you know, if you want to see a change, 
you kind of have to put yourself in a position to be the change that you want to see. So it's like, um, I don't want to keep complaining about society. I want to put myself in a position where I can make a difference, even if it's the smallest difference, even if it's the smallest or one individual that I can change the mindset on. At least it's one more than what it would have been. You know what I mean? So um, that's kind of why I got into it. It's like, if I could change your mind, if it could be in a positive influence or something, if I can enlighten people in some type of way, then that's what I'm going to go towards. At what point in your life did you decide that getting involved in like law enforcement is, is it would you consider constable being law enforcement position just in your um, mind? Yeah, so we are um, sworn officers. We can detain. Uh, we bring people in. We kind of have the same rights as a police officer. We um, go through the police academy. It's just that we can't drive around and just pull someone over. You know what I mean? It has to be on um, state property, a courthouse, or in self-defense. Okay. That's kind of what it is. Now, is that uh, Delaware specific, or is that by and large everywhere that you know of, or...? So for right now, it's Delaware specific because I'm a sworn officer in Delaware. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, um, like my, my original question being, at what point in your life did you decide, like, you know, I want to I want to get into this position. I want to mm-hmm. work, make money in this role. I want mm-hmm. to uh, serve my community in this capacity. Like at mm-hmm. one point in your life, did you decide that? Was it like right after um, high school, college or whatever? So after high school, um, I went into college and I went into criminal justice. Criminal justice kind of just always interested me. It it fascinated me in the aspect of um, what is it that I can do that can make a difference where people are not always complaining about the race issue and it Mm -hmm. actually being a, you know, civil issue. Um, mm-hmm. And just, I just always felt like in our community, as far as the black community, we always seem to um, be a little bit more ignorant than other communities as far as um, the law. And it's like um, everyone else is um, raised knowing and feeling very comfortable using firearms and, and being just open with the law and our um, our rights as opposed to black people. And it's like, um, it's always a stigma. And I just wanted to be um, opposite to what the stigma is. If I can give some type of knowledge or input or perspective to something, then I felt like, you know, why not make myself, why not learn about it? To mm-hmm. put myself in a position to where I can make someone else more knowledgeable about it. That's that's interesting. And I'm I'm gonna challenge you a little bit, not because mm-hmm. I actually have any challenge for you, but mm-hmm. something that I've heard mm-hmm. uh, a lot of is like, you know, black people they they go into law enforcement and they become more blue than they are black. And mm-hmm. you know, they they become a part of that blue wall of silence mm-hmm. or the um anything that has to be do with being a police officer, they they join that that cult of mindset yeah. uh where they're a police officer first, and then they mm-hmm. might be black. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have the job, you know, like you had mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, when you got to do evictions, like it doesn't matter 
what you make, what you feel you got the job to do. Mm. How do you feel like that impacts you? Obviously you're not a, a standard beat cop, um, but you do have to operate uh, as an agent of the state. Period. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel like generally speaking, what people do is they think emotionally and they react to a situation emotionally driven as opposed to critically thinking. So I feel like when people put themselves, if people put themselves in a position to critically think and just try to think about the whole scenario as opposed to what is just being seen to them, um, basically in the context of, of the media, let's say the mm. news, so to speak, you know what I mean? They're going to present something in a way to make you react to it as opposed mm -hmm. to thinking, you know, what is the whole situation? What happened previously? What happened after? Who else was involved? You know what I mean? And put yourself mm -hmm. in that scenario and think about self-preservation as opposed to this person and that person. Because a lot of people are quick to think about you know, oh, this person was wrong. That person was wrong because of color, as opposed to what's right and what's wrong. And, mm. you know, when you put yourself in a situation and think about scenarios of self-preservation, I think that kind of changes the narrative and changes the situation. But people are so emotionally driven and they're so reactive as opposed to, you know, critically thinking about a situation and how you would really react. And no one would really know how they're going to react to a situation unless they're put in that predicament. They can only assume from a standpoint of whatever is presented to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's very important. Um, however, I, I don't think that's the prevailing mindset amongst our community Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything negative about anybody, mm -hmm. except that it's one of those things that we have to overcome in, in a sense. Yeah. Like obviously, yeah. you know, we, we run into specific scenarios of like, oh, uh, white cop shoots black teen, mm -hmm. um, or even black cop shoots black teen. Certain mm -hmm. things will be publicized more than yeah. others. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, just this old, old white cop shot mm -hmm. this black teenager that was stealing mm -hmm. from the store. Oh, and he had he had his hands up X, Y and Z. And we see some sort of footage or we hear some sort of um, X, Y and Z testimony. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, we well, saw this. And other people say, oh, no, this mm -hmm. this happened. No body cam is there or there is a body cam, but it only tells part of the story. Yeah. And I think it it is complicated. And yeah. I'm, I'm not here to, um, you know, pat every police officer on the back and be like it's okay yeah. you just did yeah, your job because yeah. in mm -hmm. my opinion there are some who they're not just doing their job yeah. and i'm not i'm not saying oh every cop who ever had to pull the trigger wasn't just doing their job right. they're part of the white supremacist x y and z they're mm -hmm. being a cop that that stems from slave catchers which you know if you know yeah. history there is some of that in there but yeah. i think like you said we do have to think critically and think beyond just how we how we feel about everything mm -hmm. even though you know, being black is awesome, but that also comes with a culture of um, feeling very deeply mm -hmm. and just, you know, just the music and the just emotions are so strong. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it can also have its detriments if you're not able to put that on pause for a second and think super right. clearly. Uh, right. I hope people understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, 
that said, I mean, like going back to the 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 blue wall of silence thing, yeah. and, you know, just being lumped in as, oh, well, Nani's just another cop. She she she's just she's a L.E. like she Leo like, yeah, whatever. Like she yeah. her opinion doesn't matter. Do you mm-hmm. feel that there were have been situations that you could clearly see like that officer, according to the information that we have, as much as we have, because you 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 weren't there, so you don't actually know. Mm-hmm. Um, that officer went beyond his call of duty in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there definitely has been situations where it's like, right is right and wrong is wrong. And the training Mm. that we get, it's like, you should know better. Um, For instance, in a situation where the female officer drew her taser, um, I'm sorry, drew her firearm instead of her taser, Mm. but she kept saying taser, taser, taser. It's like, we're trained to where your dominant hand goes to your firearm. Your less dominant hand goes to your, um, your second, your second, um, um, your less lethal, your less lethal. Right. So it's like in a scenario, in a situation like that, you know, right from wrong, the weight is different. The draw is different. It's different things. It's different. You know what I mean? So it's like when you look at a situation like that, it's like, mm, come on, you know better. It's what, what are you really thinking? What is really in your head at the moment? Do you just think that you're just going to get away with it? At the end of the day, not everyone is good. Just like not everyone mm-hmm. is bad. I know plenty of blue. That's not the right way. But I can say that I'm a type of person that regardless of whatever my rank is, right is right and wrong is wrong. And I don't care Mm -hmm. if I'm going to have a red flag on my back or a target on my back. If I feel like a situation deserves some type of justification or I don't agree with it, I'm not going to go along with it. If it costs me my job, it costs me my job. But again, right is right and wrong is wrong. So in a situation, for instance, like that, blatantly, you know what you should have done, you know what you shouldn't have done, especially mm. if you're a veteran officer. Yeah. Now, that, that situation definitely was um, tragic, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, whether she um, meant to do these things or right. didn't mean to do these things, mm-hmm. that's irrelevant because right. life is lost. And right. You, you were you were trained better than that. Right. And if and if you weren't, you know, somebody else may be held accountable at, at right. that point. I don't I don't I'm not here to to be your judge. Somebody mm-hmm. else is going to do that. Um, mm-hmm. That said, do you feel like there's other situations that are notable or maybe less notable that you can point to or speak to and say, like, hey, you know, that one that one in my mind was misinterpreted by the black community? Or even maybe another situation that you felt like um, right is right and wrong is wrong and the, the officer was wrong. Do you, you have anything that comes to mind? That the officer was wrong? Um, I feel like, um, let me see, that the officer was wrong. Um, maybe George Floyd. If the officer was yeah. wrong, I I agree with the fact that the George Floyd situation definitely 100% was wrong. Mm. Um, we're not trained 
to just go with I'm sorry, it was just blatantly he he just murdered him. It is just it just is what it is. Um in that in that uh situation specifically, it's like you know better. And mm-hmm. it, it it seemed pretty personal to me, in my opinion. Yeah. Um but then there's other situations where um forgive me for not remembering names. But when the girls were fighting and the officer yeah. came and Makai Bryant. Yes. So in that situation when they played or we seen the entire um footage of it, in my opinion, the officer wasn't wrong. It was like um one girl life being preserved as opposed to another. It's like no one's seen that there was this huge knife about to stab this girl and it's like the officer shot the girl in my opinion out of the shot the dad too because a blunt force kick to the head of a child that could have costed her her life as well so mm. i mean i would have did a bit more but I, I in that situation i didn't think he was wrong but again it goes with yeah. the whole you know, what is the whole scenario as opposed to what is the media just playing on its own. So it's like, you got to put yourself in these situations that you're coming to. And it's like, you know, yes, it's a younger individual, but all these different moving parts, you know, what are you really going to do in that situation? Put yourself in that situation. We are taught to, you know, make sure that we get home safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do everything that we can to help whoever we are going to, but make sure that we get home safe as well. Um, But when you're put directly into a situation, it's more reactive than trying to figure out all the components of the situation Mm -hmm. at the same moment. Yeah. I remember with Makai Bryant. No, it's it's extremely difficult. And I I have a lot of pain and, and empathy for those who are put in that kind of situation, yeah. whether it be law enforcement or uh, gun owners who have to defend their lives um, mm-hmm. from aggressors and attackers and yeah. whatnot. Like I, I had a guy on the show, um, Starting Point Defense or Justin Brown, for those who want to go back and check that out later, mm-hmm. um, who um, his story that he told was of him having to um, defend himself from home invaders mm-hmm. um, or burglars. And you know, one of the guys had a knife, the other guy kind of bucked at him and his you know, he ended up shooting two teenagers um, mm. and, you know, they survived. However, you know, there was a long lengthy court process, but moral yeah. of the story being like, you know, somebody might say, oh my gosh, you shot teenagers. How dare you? You right. shot children. And right. it's like, well, right. my, my friend, they were in this man's house armed with a knife and right. um, other blunt force style objects. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, Things can go either way, and sometimes yeah. it's not as simple as we want it to be. And mm-hmm. I'm for those who maybe are wondering, I'm not making excuses for anybody for anything. Right. It's not really my business to make mm-hmm. excuses for anybody or anything. However, I think it, it is important to like do what you were saying and to think very critically before we jump up and make noise about right. something we really don't know anything about. Absolutely, um, and it's 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 unfortunate because it's you know we're in pain. We're in pain. Yeah. The McCry Bryant thing happened. And as people are in pain, you know, we're seeing her old uh, TikToks of her, you know, doing her hair and just being a, a beautiful little black girl. And you know, I have a mm-hmm. daughter. So obviously, you know, that 
that resonates with me and it, it hurts me to see like, oh man, this little yeah. girl who was a student um, and, you know, she was doing her hair and, you know, she had parental issues and I've worked with troubled kids in the past and I still do. Yeah. Um, it, it hurts to see that another little girl is gone. Yeah. However, the facts still remain. She was about to kill this girl. Right. What do you, what do you, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. And really, there's there's no amount of justification that makes it feel better, mm-hmm. but death is never going to be easy. It's right, right. So, um, and again, people don't put themselves in a situation of you know self preservation because at yeah. the end of the day, when people are faced with situations, they're going to preserve their own lives before they're going to preserve someone else's. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, I'm. Yeah, definitely. Wow, they got deep. I'm kind of emotional (laughs) Um, yeah yeah well let's let's um do you have any any messages to i guess the listeners um a large percentage of the audience is black from the black community Mm -hmm. um do you have any messages to the audience um to people who might hear you and maybe don't quite understand um just what you have to deal with in everyday situations what your coworkers have to deal with in everyday situations um, I just, um, maybe I'd say that instead of just being reactive, like I said, just try to be more situationally aware about your surroundings, about, um, different people and what they may be going through because you never know what someone is going through. Um, so the approach that you give people and your opinions that you give people just be mindful that you know um you never know what someone's situation is so you never know how you're going to affect that individual whether it be positive or negative or you know you never know how they're going to react to whatever it is that you say just always try to approach someone in a place of love at the end of the mm-hmm. day because you know whatever it is that you do, as long as it comes from a place of love, maybe, you know, that person or the individual can interpret it in a more positive light as opposed to being defensive because of how Mm -hmm. you approach them. Yeah. It's powerful. Um, But when the girls were fighting and the officer came and yes. So in that situation, when they played, or we seen the entire um, footage of it. In my opinion, the officer wasn't wrong. It was like um, one girl life being preserved as opposed to another. It's like no one seen that there was this huge knife about to stab this girl, and it's like the officer shot the girl. In my opinion, I shot the dad too because of blunt force kick to the head of a child that could have costed her her life as well so Mm. I mean I would have did a bit more but in that situation I didn't think he was wrong but again it goes with the whole you know what is the whole scenario as opposed to what is the media just playing on its own so it's like you got to put yourself in these situations that you're coming to and it's like you know yes it's a younger individual but all these different moving parts, you know, what are you really going to do in that situation? Put yourself in that situation. We are taught to 
you know, make sure that we get home safe Mm -hmm. and, you know, do everything that we can to help whoever we are going to, but make sure that we get home safe as well. Um, But when you're put directly into a situation, it's more reactive than trying to figure out all the components of the situation Mm -hmm. at the same moment. Yeah. I remember with Makai Bryant. No, it's it's extremely difficult. And I yeah. I have a lot of pain and, and empathy for those mm-hmm. who are put in that kind of situation, yeah. whether it be law enforcement or uh, gun owners who have to defend their lives um, mm-hmm. from aggressors and attackers and yeah. whatnot. Like I, I had a guy on the show, um, Starting Point Defense or Justin Brown, for those who want to go back and check that out later, mm-hmm. um, who um, his story that he told was of him having to um, defend himself from home invaders um, or burglars, and you know, one of the guys had a knife. The other guy kind of bucked at him, and his, you know, he ended up shooting two teenagers. Um, mm. And you know, they survived. However, you know, there was a long, lengthy court process. But moral yeah. of the story being, like, you know, somebody might say, "Oh my gosh, you shot teenagers! How dare you? You right. shot children!" And right. it's like, well, right. my my friend, they were in this man's house, armed with a knife, and right. Um, other blunt force style objects say, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's things can go either way. And sometimes yeah. it's not as simple as we want it to be. And mm-hmm. I'm for those who maybe are wondering, I'm not making excuses for anybody for anything. Right. It's not really my business to mm-hmm. make excuses for anybody or anything. However, I think it, it is important to like do what you were saying and to think very critically before we jump up and make noise about right. something we really don't know anything about. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate because it's, you know, we're in pain. We're in pain. Yeah. The McCrye Bryant thing happened. And as people are in pain, you know, we're seeing her old uh, TikToks of her, you know, doing her hair and just being a, a beautiful little black girl. And, you know, I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, that, that resonates with me. And it, it hurts me to see like, oh man, this little yeah. girl who was a student um, and, you know, she was doing her hair and, you know, she had parental issues and I've worked with troubled kids in the past and I still do. Yeah. Um, it hurts to see that another little girl is gone. Yeah. However, the facts still remain. She was about to kill this girl. Right. What do you, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. And really there's, there's no amount of justification that makes it feel better, mm-hmm. but death is never going to be easy. It's right. Right. So, um, and again, people don't put themselves in a situation of, you know, self-preservation because at yeah. the end of the day, when people are faced with situations, they're going to preserve their own lives before they're going to preserve someone else's. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. I'm. Yeah, definitely. Wow. They got deep. I'm kind of emotional. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's. Um, do you have any any messages to, I guess, the listeners, um, a large percentage of the audience is black from the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any messages to the audience, um, to people who might hear you and maybe don't quite understand um, just what you have to deal with in everyday situations, what your coworkers have to deal with in everyday situations? Um, I just, um, maybe I'd say that instead of just being reactive, Like I said, just try to be more situationally aware about your surroundings, about um, 
different people and what they may be going through because you never know what someone is going through. Um, so the approach that you give people and your opinions that you give people, just be mindful that, you know, um, you never know what someone's situation is. So you never know how you're going to affect that individual, whether it be positive and negative or you know, you never know how they're going to react to whatever it is that you say. Just always try to approach someone in a place of love at the end of the day, because, you know, whatever it is that you do, as long as it comes from a place of love, maybe, you know, that person or the individual can interpret it in a more positive light as opposed to being defensive because of how mm -hmm. you approach them. Yeah. It's powerful. Um, let's let's change gears a little bit yeah. and talk about you being a firearms instructor. Mm -hmm. What in the world got you into wanting to teach people how to shoot guns? <laughs> Come on, you know, you know, I, I, as somebody in law enforcement, how are you gonna mm -hmm. arm more people to to be dangerous? Like, what are, what are you I, doing? I feel like it's not necessarily to be dangerous. It's more so, you know, in our community we're kind of shunned away from guns. We're kind of shunned away from firearms and the laws behind it. Whereas in other communities, they grow up with it. It's like, you know, the black man should not have a gun because they're automatically gonna be targeted, which in essence, unfortunately, in some aspects, it, they are. But it's like, if you know the laws and you're not so ignorant to it, then you could kind of talk that shit. <laughs> and it's like, um, arm yourself with the knowledge first and then arm yourself with your firearms and then be able to defend yourself the right way. Mm -hmm. So if we are more knowledgeable about our laws, then maybe we can self-preserve and preserve the lives of others and our children. Um, I got into it because I see so many people coming into my job in different places that are just so unaware and they're just so ignorant to the laws and the fact that we are legally able to carry firearms um, and to be able to defend ourselves the right way. And we just assume that it's wrong just because it's a weapon, so to speak, when people don't think that anything can be a weapon. I could take a pen and make a pen a weapon. A gun doesn't have to be a weapon until you turn it into one. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what am I going to do? Blow a whistle to, for someone to come save me? Or am I going to learn and teach myself how to use a firearm to defend my life and the life of, I have children and the lives of my children and my family members, or am I going to depend on someone else? We are our own first responders. You know what I mean? And it's like, sorry, but what am I going to call 911 and wait for them to get there? No, I'm going to defend myself first. And then they can deal with the repercussions of whatever else there is, the residual effect of it. But I'm going to defend myself first the right way. Um, different states have um, 
you know, different laws, everywhere has different laws, just becoming knowledgeable about those laws, but defending myself within those laws. Um, so I felt like, why not put myself in a position to make um, people that I know more knowledgeable about that stuff? Um, and it kind of just, it gives me a good feeling when I take people to the range that have never shot before and you teach them the right way. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know I can do this. Absolutely. Just remember everything that goes behind it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love it. That's mm-hmm. that's great. And I, I can see you, you, you're, you're just joy and just, yeah. you know, reimagining just mm-hmm. those interactions mm-hmm. and teaching people. <laughs> and that, that's a beautiful thing. I'm not an instructor for those who are maybe wondering. However, mm-hmm. I hang around way too many instructors to not, yeah. you know, just love to see the things that they enjoy, yeah. um, which is, you know, taking someone to the range and getting through mm-hmm. that first shot. And yeah. of course, you know, getting through <laughs> your first mag, it, it's a beautiful thing. And finding, you know, actually getting your group to, you know, to be a solid grouping is that's mm-hmm. you, your target looks good. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, and, it, and even in um, just kind of going further into your, your firearms instructor, how long have you been instructing? Um, so I've only been instructing for about a year and a half. Year and um, a half. When did you start? Like during COVID or what? I did start during COVID. Um, I felt like, you know, we have so much time on our hands. Why not just go ahead and become an instructor? So I became an instructor for um, civilians. I went through the NRA, um, became a firearms instructor with them. Um, And then I went as far as becoming a law enforcement instructor through my job. um, So I can teach law enforcement officers that are coming on to be firearms instructors as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think I'm, I'm going to address something really quickly mm-hmm. because it's been um, there are a few crotchety old men in the game who mm-hmm. rightfully sometimes and sometimes being overbearing and just doing the most uh, will comment or um, say or put out posts or lives or videos or whatever saying like all these new firearms instructors coming about X, Y and Z. And there is, I think, a problem with a lot of the new firearms instructors that started during covid um, who have no idea what they're doing and are really just in it to make an, a few extra bucks on the weekend mm-hmm. um, or think they know something about guns. So they think, oh, let's just get a few classes together um, mm-hmm. and just do the NRA. But they, they literally know nothing. Um, I think there is an issue with that. However, I think you have bucked that trend in the sense that, yeah, you started during COVID like a lot of the people that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. However, um, you you didn't just stop with oh I'm just gonna teach people on the weekend you are you you've been law enforcement for how many years at this point? Um so um previous to my job right now which I've been in two years uh, with this state um I was also um in homeland security for six years so I've been okay. law enforcement for about a total of maybe eight years yeah homeland security well yeah I hope we can talk about that I don't I don't know if we can but. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe circle back. Um, mm-hmm. That said, you know, you've, you've been in law enforcement for several years. Uh, mm-hmm. You got into farms instructing, instructing because you had a heart for um, teaching and being there for your community as mm-hmm. you being in law enforcement. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. And also now you're a firearms instructor for on the policing side. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. She's not just, she's not just one of those girls who thought, Oh, I'm 
gonna become a firearms instructor. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, nope, not trying not to make fun all. of people, but that's no, I, I think some of the, the stereotype that's been floating around is like, oh, there's all these new female firearms instructors. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, there are, but some of them are actually good. Like some yeah. of them actually know what they're talking about. Yeah. And in the same way that there's a lot of guys who have been instructing for years and are still trash. Yeah. Garbage. <laughs> there are some female firearms instructors who have just recently started doing it on a serious level who mm-hmm. actually know what they're doing and know what they're dealing with because they've invested um, the time and in, in the sweat equity yeah. into getting proper instructing. Um, mm-hmm. Who have you trained under? Who who's Can you name a, a mentor or two that you've um, been under and, um, who has kind of helped you get to this point? Absolutely. So um, on top of just being trained through the police academies of Delaware, um, Smyrna Police, Delaware State Police, different police departments in Delaware, um, a great mentor that I have is um, Alex Ballard. So um, of <laughs> Civilian Armed Self-Defense Black and Armed Black Movement. Yes, that's my guy right there. Man. Yeah. So um, we train pretty often and um, he's, he's definitely pretty dope. He is all about self-defense and defensive tactics. And if your life matters, you better damn sure train like it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had him on. We just had him on. We just put his episode out. Um, yeah. It's. I feel like people have really been enjoying it. He's. Mm-hmm. He he can teach. He can teach. Teach. Oh, he's so, very knowledgeable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it's beautiful, and I really hope I can get him back on, just because he mm-hmm. went over a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. I feel like no one like dared to even <laughs> have like one negative <laughs> thing to say about him, just because he yeah, says it with yeah, such yeah. conviction. Like with oh, so much yeah. conviction, definitely you know, he, he believes definitely. it. Definitely, and if you oh, if you got in his face and mm-hmm. and questioned him on everything he said, I'm sure he'd say the same thing. Absolutely, maybe twice. Yes, so, yes. Very a little bit of praise for Al. Great background backbone. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just good man. I, I appreciate yes, him. Even is. if even if I disagreed with literally everything he said, I respect him. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't disagree. Just to be clear, I didn't disagree with everything you said, but I respect yeah. him either way. Now, enough yeah. about it. He, he already had his episode. Let's get back to you. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, just kind of what your curriculum looks like. What do you, what do you offer? Like what, what sets you apart? And if, if nothing sets you apart, like what do you think you do well uh, in firearms instructing that really like puts you where you need to be? Um, so I just feel like uh, having a female perspective is a big thing. Um, a lot of people uh, um, in the gun community, in the two-way community, they know that men gravitate towards the gun world. And it's like having a female perspective on things kind of changes the view of things. So I get a lot of females that want to train with me as well as men, but more females that want to train because they want to know what I think as opposed to the general perspective of a man. Um, so I kind of give my law enforcement opinion as opposed to my personal opinion um, as a female instructor um, and how I feel like, you know, a gun can be handled, um, the different techniques being used, 
in a female perspective. Okay. I think that's, that's interesting because um, I've, I've had a few different female firearms instructors on the, on the program. And mm-hmm. some, some of them will be like, you know, uh, I think it's important that I come at it from like a black perspective and others will mm-hmm. say X, Y, and Z. But I think it is really cool that you have that law enforcement perspective because ultimately anytime your, your gun goes bang outside of a shooting range, there's a good chance that the law is going to be there. So yeah. I think it is pertinent to understand what those laws look like outside yes. of just the concealed carry class. Cause those, those yeah. are cool and all, but mm-hmm. are they, what, what do they really offer? Yeah. Um, do you teach concealed carry? I do teach concealed carry um, predominantly for the state of Delaware. So a mm-hmm. lot of different states, I do feel like you should be able to carry in any state. Um, it's our amendments. We should be able to carry but um, so the state of Delaware, is, it's kind of vigorous. Um, the requirements are kind of expensive. Um, so I do teach concealed carry. We kind of have a little process that we have to go through. We have a requirement. We have um, um, a shooting requirement as well as um, newspaper um, articles that have to be printed out, fingerprints pictures being taken and and um passport pictures and um you know different requirements and everything so i do teach that um as well as the laws for delaware delaware is kind of a you know a last resort like you you have to use your mm-hmm. firearm as a last resort you want to use whatever it is that you can if you can get away you need to get away you need to flee scene safely if you can call for help then that's what you need to do at the last if you feel like you're in imminent danger that's when you need to use your firearm in the state of delaware mm-hmm. so, but yes i'm, I'm curious there. to see as somebody who has served in law enforcement capacity as well as being a firearms instructor mm-hmm. as well as being uh, a woman um this period obviously and mm-hmm. In addition to that, a mother, and um, I'm sure you have friends and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel that the the assumption or the mandate, rather, um, that you must do literally everything in your possible, everything possible, in the eyes of the state, anyways, to not use that firearm and use it as you have no other choice? Um, do you feel like that's negative or do you feel like yeah that's that's the way it should be um Um, personally speaking i can only speak in my own opinion i feel like even when i'm at work i feel like yes it should only be when you feel like you're in imminent danger i feel like life is very short and everyone's life should be preserved as well as your own So if there's something else that I can do to alleviate the situation, then I'm going to go forth with that before I take someone's life. Mm -hmm. Um, If I have a taser, I'm going to use my taser. If I have my baton, I'm going to use my baton. I'm going to use whatever it is that I have that can alleviate the situation or dumb down the situation before I use my firearm. I'm going to get away. I'm going to flee the scene. I'm going to do whatever it is before I have to pull my firearm and use it in the aspect of taking someone's life because I don't really want 
to take someone's life unless I feel like my life is at risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's I think it's a powerful thing to say. And obviously, there are people who have different perspectives or different yeah. um, philosophies on when it's okay to use a firearm. Some people would yeah. say, like, you know, if, if someone strikes you, well, that's it. Light them up. Like, mm -hmm. they're done. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't yeah. have put their hands on you. Right. Or somebody says, if they brandish a knife, well, right. they brandish a weapon, bow, bow, bow. Mm -hmm. Versus um, now they advance towards me. Right. You know, it's one of those things where you don't know until you're in that situation. And I'm right. not here to... Uh, be the judge, jury, or anything other than myself right. um, with my little opinions, and mm -hmm. they can't hurt you. You'll be okay. <laughs> um, that said, I I wonder, just going back to the law enforcement aspect, you know, this is going to be kind of a personal question, I suppose, mm -hmm. but do you feel that just as a black woman and as somebody who's experienced uh, just life, do you feel that black people are targeted? at a higher rate with use of lethal force because you see a lot of these videos of, Oh, mm -hmm. this, this white boy shot up some cops and he yeah. lived or the mm -hmm. massacre happened and they took him alive. And mm -hmm. you see black folks in the comment section livid, like yeah. ready to tear the city down. How dare you take mm -hmm. him alive? He should have been dead. Just like right. name six other people from right. the last year who so, died for less. Yeah. So, okay, so personally speaking, again, every situation is scenario-based and situation-based. But um, generally speaking, I do. I do agree with the fact that um, people stereotype and some law enforcement officers, they stereotype. And unfortunately, the, um, the credentials are getting lower and lower. The age is getting lower and lower for you know hiring law enforcement and these people that they're hiring on are younger and younger and they have no life experience they only mm -hmm. go based off of stereotypes and um unfortunately people are made to fear the black man as opposed to just you know looking at people as people and as a situation as a situation they're so reactive. You know, at the end of the day, people are people. And you can't judge how a person is going to react. Nine times out of 10, people are just going to react just based off of, you know, maybe I think I could get away with this. You know, mm. it's been done before. You know, they think about, um, then again, a lot of people don't think. They just react. And mm. it's sad to say that nine times out of 10, a black man is not being treated the same way as a white. I don't personally feel like the system was made and designed for us. Um, yeah, it, I've been hearing that a lot. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily designed for us. We kind of just withstanding it. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to be and, safe with my answers because of work. Nope. <laughs> well, I, I mean, this is costly conversations. If you get canceled, I, I yeah. hope that uh, people would try to support you if yeah, 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 uh, if yeah. they chose to. That yeah. said, obviously, you, you do have a job. We got to kind of be mindful. Yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. God forbid 
Yeah. No, but I mean, I can say that if I'm in a situation and right is right and wrong is wrong, I, I can care less about the job title. I'm not going to just go with whoever is doing what they're not supposed to because they felt like they could get away with it. If mm-hmm. I feel like you're wrong, I don't care who you are, sergeant, chief, whoever, lieutenant. I'm going to go with I what I feel is right. Morally. Yeah, I mean... You, before we started recording, you mentioned that there was some an incident. I'm not going to get into the details, but something happened earlier in the day. And you called somebody out who technically outranks you in in, in a yeah. way, and it's like, yeah. oh yeah, oh, wow, okay, yeah. You clearly you don't care. <laughs> you, yeah. you will say what needs to be said. Like yeah. consequences don't matter at this point. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my chiefs and everyone supported me though. They were like, listen, you know they, you know even though they're higher up, it's like right is right and wrong is wrong. And you you stood your ground. And as long as you can justify your actions, I Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, you're, you're going to get some type of support as long as you can justify your situation and your actions. Yeah. I I think there is, there is something, um, and we'll, we'll talk about this and we'll, we'll cut over to the the last segment that we're going to talk about. Um, there's been this thing that Al, Al talked about it and I experienced it kind of recently again, um, where he said, you know, we should be able in the black gun community specifically, but this applies to everywhere, um, to call somebody out on their dumb, unsafe, misinformed practices. If you put a video out there as a firearms instructor, we should be able to reach out to you and say like, Hey brother, I think what you're doing is dumb or dangerous. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's really putting the image out that you want to put out. Right. It can um, let you get a chance to fix it. Um, right. And they, sh- no one should be like, oh, you're just trying to tear down black men or you're just right. trying to be a hater, X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z, being that it, mm-hmm. this applies to everybody. Um, that you should be able to correct something that's incorrect. Yeah. And not be a, 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 attacked. Um, defensive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. People, people get defensive. And I think... It is interesting to see that um, as as a female firearms instructor, I I do feel like folks will target y'all a little bit more. Yeah. Just because uh, I don't know if they see it as like, oh, well, it's my job to teach these women how to how to. Oh, I I, I saw that looked a little unsafe, or your student yeah. did something dumb, mm-hmm. or their form wasn't perfect, or I don't I don't mm-hmm. know. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's kind Do you like, feel like it's excessive or like, can you talk about that um, a little bit? At times, I feel like it can be excessive. It's more of a, we kind of got to prove ourselves a little bit more than others because we're in a male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have to be the best of the best if we want to do and progress in this mm-hmm. um, field. And um, I think what, what you're saying is people that are defensive in that way, um, they shouldn't be number one. You should always be open to criticism. Um, people like that, they don't want to take accountability for their own faults and their own actions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like they feel like they know everything as opposed to accepting the fact that we're always students. It's always going to be someone that knows more than what we know. Um, And me personally, I always feel like 
um, if someone can teach me something, I'm 100% open to it because everyone's perspective is different. And even if we learn the same exact thing, we're going to see it in different ways because we perceive it differently. So if mm. you can teach it to me in a different way, even if it's the same thing, I'm going to be open to it because I want to know how you did it and compare it to the way that I interpreted it. Um, and I just feel like more people should be open to that. Um, but us as females, 100%, I feel like we're we're pretty targeted um, wherever we go and we're challenged because, you know, we kind of got to show up and show out. Yeah. And uh, we got to be on top of our shit <laughs> because God yeah. especially wants to always challenge us. Me um, personally, <laughs> I love when guys talk or instructors or range owners or whoever they are and they talk and I just sit and I laugh and I listen and they're like hey you want to shoot and I go shoot and they're like oh shit <laughs> yeah I actually know what I'm talking about <laughs> there you go there you go now I, I've always assumed that um guys who spend a lot of time writing out paragraphs in the dms which mm -hmm. like al said you can you can address people if they're doing something dumb or dangerous but mm -hmm. i always felt like oh those guys either have too much time on their hands mm -hmm. their ego is just way too large yeah. or it's a lame attempt to hit on a female firearms instructor yeah I, in my mind that's like that's probably what that is yeah. i don't know but <laughs> do you what 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 do you feel like the reason is for the the excessive um confrontation um obviously if you did something dumb like own it and yeah. get called out and take it and maybe even mm -hmm. make a correction mm -hmm. however what what do you for those that for the for the excessive or unreasonable what do you feel? um sometimes i feel like personally speaking a lot of men don't want to be corrected by women mm -hmm. um and then a lot of men don't want to be corrected by a woman of color um because let's be honest the woman of color is the lowest on the total pole so when you have a knowledgeable female of color it's like damn i'm being corrected by her how does she know more than me you know so it's kind of like a little strike at their ego um mm -hmm. more than anything because if they take their ego out of things then they'll just be willing to accept um constructive criticism okay i think that's um I think that's powerful in the sense that like we, we need to hear that mm -hmm. we need to keep an open mind and yeah. you know, we don't, we don't wake up with our breath smelling good. Like it's just, we're human. We have bodily yeah. processes. We yeah. can make mistakes mm -hmm. you know, just cause you've been Ellie, just cause you were SWAT, just cause you're mm -hmm. a Delta guy mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. doesn't yeah. mean that you won't have NDs. Um, mm -hmm. or uh, negligent discharges yep. uh, doesn't mean you won't have accidents yep like take your correction take your lumps and kind yeah. of keep moving yeah, and that's what it is it's not that serious just accept mm -hmm. it learn from it and move on yeah yeah mm -hmm. you're right um recently i had a guy um talking uh in in my comment section um upset just at a at a clip that i had where um a female instructor was talking about Every once in a while, um, depending on what she's wearing, it, her outfit might be printing a little bit. Um, not not excessively, but if you really look closely, you can kind of see, like, oh, is that is that a gun or is that something mm -hmm. else? Um, 
and just the the overwhelming amount of uh, feedback that she would get um, mm -hmm. from a lot of guys who wanted to write out paragraphs for her. And I wonder, do you do you get feedback like that or um, for him? He 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 wasn't very um, polite about what he had to say. But do you get feedback like that? Or like, how do you personally handle that when it comes to you? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I get a lot of feedback, period, about, um, because I do wear tight-fitting clothing. I wear revealing clothing. Um, so a lot of things do print out. It's just, my thing is, you pick and choose your battles. And sometimes people just want to hear themselves speak. People just want a little bit of attention. Um, and they can't put themselves in our shoes. So they'd never know what it is like to be a female that's wearing clothing that we want to wear, um, as well as having our firearm to defend ourselves as well. And I feel like when I tell people to come train, I tell them to wear whatever it is that they wear on a daily basis if they're wearing heels every day come to the range in your heels because you need to learn how to defend yourself in them heels and you shouldn't have to change what you wear just because you want to be able to defend yourself with a firearm so people like that i don't even give them the time of day i don't give them the attention now if they want to be constructive and they want to give me some advice then i'm open to it but if you're just going to criticize and criticize, then you can keep your opinions yourself. I could care less because mm. when it comes down to it, I'm going to defend myself the way I need to. Are you going to be able to defend yourself the way that you need to? Because I know I am. Excellent point. At the end of the day, if you live or die, you got to live with yourself. You know, absolutely. <laughs> like you, you get they're not going to be there with you, mm -hmm. uh, laying down fire. Exactly. <laughs> if, you know, at, at at in their moment of truth. So, exactly. I mean, you get, you got to take care of yourself and mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. And hopefully you do it in the most effective way possible. Yeah. Um, whether that be, you know, concealed carry, not printing, but should you print, you know, like I'm not going to lose my mind. Obviously mm -hmm. if something bad happens to you, well, that's on you friend. Like, I, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you knew the consequences. We told mm -hmm. you, you knew, and I'm, yeah. I'm not saying anything against you specifically, but I, I'm yeah. saying like for those, for those who, um, want to make choices that are less than optimal, like yeah. just understand that there, there may or may not be consequences. Most people right. go their entire life without firing their gun mm -hmm. or having to mm -hmm. deal with their firearm in any aggressive mm -hmm. way. Um, but I'm gonna leave that there. Thank okay. you for, for getting into that with me. Let's get this <laughs> last few, uh, two topics, which is really just one topic and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll go forward. Um, I'm excited to get into this one. This is okay. regarding uh, you surviving breast cancer three okay. times. Three what in times. the world can can we can we go over this? Can we like start at the beginning? <laughs> this sure, that's crazy. Sure. What in the yeah. world? So um, okay, so 2018, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, triple negative breast cancer. So triple negative is the most aggressive form of breast cancer. Um, what it is, is it's not responsive to anything, pretty much, um, um, receptors of anything. It's all negative. So it's the most aggressive form. It was diagnosed in my breast, um, kind of felt like a lump towards my armpit, 
kind of moved towards towards my breast. Um, I didn't think too much of it because I got it checked out a couple of times by a few doctors and they told me that it was nothing. They told me that um, it was nothing to worry about. So I just left it alone. Um, That had to be around May of 2017 that I noticed that um, it came all the way down to November of 2017 that I was like, okay, it's getting kind of big. They told me that it was a cyst. Um, so I'm, I'm like, all right, well, it's a little sore by December. I'm like, okay, it's too sore. Well, hold on. Is, is that, is that common in women to have cysts in the, in those areas? Armpit, um, sometimes, area? um, some women have like lumpy breasts. Some don't, I didn't, it was just like a, what is this type of thing? And yeah. I guess because it didn't have the common, um, effects of cancer, like the common um, denominators of cancer, that they were just like, oh, it's a cyst. They didn't think it was, and just because of now, my what age are some of those common everything. things, like like sicknesses or so like... um, hereditary, whether you have like um, draining of nipples, um, whether your nipples turn inward, whether it's um, it's there but it it doesn't hurt. Um, mine. It, it hurt like it was sore and then it kept growing and uh, so I wasn't sure what it was and all I knew was there was this lump and it hurt and um, mm. they kept telling me oh it's nothing it's nothing so um went to my gynecologist again and I'm like okay even though you say it's nothing can I get transferred somewhere where I can make sure it's nothing like can they drain it since it's a cyst or whatever and he said okay I'll send you to the breast center so, so um, you, you went you went to a male gynecologist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My gynecologist uh, wh- is a male, yeah. White male, black male, Hispanic. Um, he's Hispanic. He's Hispanic, but I also I went to him, but I also seen a female doctor. Mm-hmm. Um I I seen quite a I seen maybe three doctors in 2017 that all told me that it was nothing. Um, and I could have proceeded with a lawsuit with that because they all said it was nothing, but never followed up with checking mm. to see if it was nothing because mm. I was so young at the time I was, uh, 28. So, um, so they said there's nothing, but I, I was adamant. I wish I was more adamant now that I know, but, um, so he sent me to a breast surgeon. So I get to the breast surgeon's wow. office and they hit me with the, oh, you're young. What are you here for? What do you need a mammogram for? And at this point, it's so sore and it's so big. I'm like, listen, I'll whip my boob out. Like, you're going to check me. <laughs> so um, I got scheduled for um, a mammogram and an ultrasound. Same day as I got the mammogram, they were like, yeah, let's get this ultrasound. Got the ultrasound done. They were like, this is not a cyst. They said, okay, mm. we're going to do a biopsy. Literally same day, they did the biopsy. They said, it's going to take about a week. Two days later, they called me on the phone and said, you need to come back in. It's cancer. Huh. Wow. In my head, I'm like, oh, ha, 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 cancer, you're right. Did not wow. take it seriously at all. They were like, this is not a joke. This is very aggressive. I'm like, yeah, okay. Wow. <laughs> Never clicked in my head that, yeah, this is cancer. So, um, yeah, 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, I went through what, like a 
eight months of chemotherapy, lost my hair in a matter of um, two weeks. Um, I went all the way, that was February. I went through chemo. August, I had a mastectomy, full mastectomy, had my breast removed. Um, they asked me, you know, because you're young, do you still want breasts? I'm like, of course I do. I want to look normal. Um, so I had radiation and everything done. I had plastic surgery. We assumed that everything was good. Um, I went months um, into 2019, thought that everything was okay. Um, wasn't really listening to my body. I was getting a little bit of wheezing getting a little bit out of breath um so I just went to my doctor and I'm like okay well I'm a bit out of breath they weren't too worried about it they were like okay I woke up one morning last year actually um Valentine's Day actually wow. I woke up with a little cramp in my side I'm like okay maybe I slept wrong get to mm -hmm. work um I told one of my um one of my partners like you know um, keep a, keep an eye on me. I got a little cramp in my side. He, by the time he, hour later, by the time he went to the bathroom and came back, I'm like leaning over, holding my breath, trying not to breathe because every time I breathed in, it felt like someone was stabbing me in my back. Yeah. So I got rushed to the hospital and they were like, oh shit, you have 11 and a half centimeter mass in your lung. And I'm like, huh that and um they came back literally in a matter of minutes and were like yeah it looks like what you had before so cancer in my lung last year um went through chemo again for my lung um september 2019 i had two-thirds of my lung removed as well as the rib um that was all taken out. They did all the scans again. They said all the cancer is gone. No sign of anything. Tested a few lymph nodes. Lymph nodes negative. Everything mm. negative. So I went through recovery. Had tubes and everything. I had dreams, everything. I'm like, okay, but I'm good. Deal with it. You're good. December comes. Just of last year. I get a headache couple of days in still got a headache get to work I'm like I got a headache I'm not dealing with this headache I don't feel like going to work call my chief he's like go to work go to go to the hospital by the time I'm like on my way to the hospital my vision starts to get blurry I uh, get to the hospital and um they take me right back um they see I'm in my uniform so they take me right back um privileges of being law enforcement <laughs> They take right. me right back and everything. So they did scans right away. Five centimeter mass in my brain. Totally. Yeah. So um, they were like, kind of looks like what you've been through before. <laughs> like the first time didn't really hit me bad. The second time it was like, oh shit. The third time I kind of felt like I was losing hope, you know? Yeah. And it was like, I do. So sorry, language. What did I do so bad to have cancer come try to kick my ass three times? So December of last year, they're like five centimeter mass in your brain. Let's get it out. So just in a matter of two days, um, brain surgeon came in 
And he's like, all right, we're going to cut the skull. So from right above my ear, all the way up, um, about that big, they cut into my brain, took the mass out, um, got stapled up, stitched up about 30, 34 stitches, a couple of staples. Um, wasn't walking too good, but um, got patched up, um, did about three days of radiation. They did scans. I've been getting scans ever since. They said, again, we tested your lymph nodes. Um, it had to be maybe on a molecular level because the scans are not getting anything. You're not having symptoms. Um, even when I go to the doctors now, they're like, we can't even understand why, you know, this has happened to mm -hmm. you because it kind of just appeared, appeared in each spot, um, um, but recurrent. Um, so it's stage four. I have been living with stage four breast cancer. Um, there's nothing higher than stage four. Um, they gave me a life expectancy of three to five years. I've already been here for this is my fourth year. <laughs> so already beat that. <laughs> and I just Glad continue. Yes, I continue to tell them that I'm different. <laughs> That's all I keep telling them, you know, your statistics are wrong. I'm different. Um, they're like, we just feel like it's your positive attitude that they keep you here. Because um, every time that it's been here, I just, even though it kicks you down and knocks you down, that, you know, um, you got to stay positive. Your mindset is everything. Whatever you believe is definitely, you know, what is going to be projected in your life. And I'm a very strong believer of it. So, um, yeah, stay positive. Um, a couple of days ago, my nine months scans, I'm nine months clear of cancer. Let's go. Man. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, it brings me joy to hear that. That, thank you. Um, you have a unique story. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna muddy it up with all my my stupid words. Um, <laughs> it's okay. October yeah. is our month, baby. So we're, you're you're putting me out there in the month that I need to be out there. Let's <laughs> Breast go. cancer month is October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm I'm really glad you're here to tell this story. Thank um, you. It's because we cancer. It always seems so far away. Like unless mm -hmm. you know somebody, mm -hmm. like oh you know oh what mm -hmm. you know cancer cancer sucks cancer but it's so far away. So I'm yeah. I'm really hoping your story can touch somebody and. Obviously, there's people who deal with this, um, people who've lost parents, mothers, yeah. children, children mm -hmm. of cancer, little children. My um, daughter's father going to brain cancer. My daughter, um, unfortunately, had to deal with her father passing while she was seven at brain cancer. And that was in November. And turn around in that January is when I was diagnosed. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. Wow. When it touched home, that's when, and a lot of the people know me and they're like, huh, huh. And they still don't think that it's that serious as it is, but it's because of the way that I carry it. Yeah. Um, like I would, I would have never known because you're just such a like free and happy spirit. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like even just talking about it, yeah. you would have never known. Um, yeah. So Thank you for telling your story. I do want to talk a little bit about some of the details, yeah. um, if that's all right. Um, yeah. Specifically about 
um, being diagnosed as a young black woman, a mm-hmm. young woman who's like, oh, what are you doing here? You're, yeah. you're 28. You're too young yeah. to be here. Yeah. Whether they're joking or being serious, it sounds mm-hmm. like they're more being serious, being that yeah. your doctors um, were like, mm, it's nothing. My yeah. wife, she um, she's really big on advocating for herself when she goes to mm-hmm. the doctor, mm-hmm. whether it's in pregnancy or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you have to advocate to, for yourself a little bit. Can we Absolutely. talk about that process and what that yeah. looks like? And how people should go about that process? Oh, absolutely. So um, with the knowledge that I know now, um, I would have been a bit more aggressive in me advocating for myself. Um, Just like other people, I I didn't think it was as serious as it was. Um, Mm. So basically, doctors kind of give you this illusion of, you know, you kind of got to listen to what they say. And whatever they say goes because, you know, they have the knowledge of things. Uh, Personally speaking, I feel like you keep going until you get the answer that you're satisfied with. And remember in your mind that they work for you. You do not have to go with whatever they say. Just because they suggest something, you take that as a suggestion not as what you should do. You take whatever your personal opinion is and you go with that and you stand your ground and you be adamant about what you want and the results that you want. And when you challenge them is when you're finally gonna get the answers that you need. So you have to be Mm. aggressive in your approach with doctors because at the end of the day, it's sad to say, but a lot of it is dollar signs. And a lot of it is money driven as opposed to really wanting to help someone. And you have to think of your life first because you're the one that's thinking of your life because you have to live it. If I went with what I was hearing, I would have gave up on myself and I probably wouldn't even be here right now. But because I said, no, this is what I want. This is what I believe. And you're going to give me what I want, or I'm going to go somewhere else. Once they hear that you have options, they're going to try to give you everything that you need. So stay, you know, um, on top of whatever your goal is that you want to accomplish with doctors and your health. Yeah. So one thing that is is a frightening statistic, and these statistics are extremely real. People will tell you that they're not just some made up stuff. Um, specifically in childbirth and things like that, black women have basically the highest mortality rate of Mm -hmm. of anyone out there. Um, in addition to just not being, um, respected in regards to like, Hey, I'm in pain. Um, just in, in, in one-to-one scenarios, um, someone who is not a black woman will come and say like, I'm in pain. And then the Mm -hmm. other one will come and say the same thing. And the black woman will often be ignored and I'm yeah. not saying this to be like, well, black women are ignored. I'm just telling you the facts, yeah. like statistics that are real and verifiable, mm-hmm. verifiable facts. Go look mm-hmm. it up. If you don't believe me, yep. hit me in the comments, come at me, bro. Um, mm-hmm. That said, do you feel like that played any role in it? Obviously it's not like, oh, well, my white doctor ignored me. He wasn't even white. Like, mm-hmm. do you feel like that played any role in you being ignored or was it just because you were young or Walk me through your thoughts. How do you feel? Um, I feel like um, age has a lot to play with it as well. Um, I feel like them feeling like, 
you know, we're ignorant to a lot because of our age and because of our ethnicity that we're just a bit less knowledgeable than other mm. races and other, um, you know, age groups that we're less knowledgeable. But when they're challenged and they're challenged in a way that is articulated to challenge their their um their knowledge pretty much and their their um expertise um they feel like they have to dig a little bit deeper to try to give you a bit more critical answer that can um satisfy your questioning um mm-hmm. i do feel like um you know my age and my race kind of did play a part um so what i learned was the cancer that i have is predominantly in black and hispanic women and i'm black and hispanic so um if i was a bit more aggressive instead of generalized which the, that's kind of what they do is generalize you in age groups as well as in race um and they go based off of those specific uh, those statistics um, as opposed to treating you as an individual. Um, they kind of just try to satisfy whatever it is that you're asking and see if you'll stop asking questions mm. as opposed to you being adamant about things because they feel like if they could throw big words at you, that's kind of with everyone though, just like you were speaking about, speaking with conviction. They feel like because they have that title, if they say things in a certain way, that it'll satisfy you to stop asking questions. But if you can question with conviction, then they're forced to answer or to try to find an answer to satisfy you. Yeah. I think that's, that's important to consider when mm-hmm. um, dealing with your health. Obviously this isn't for those who are wondering, it's not a, not a firearms discussion, but it's still Mm-mm. costly conversation. We got, we got to talk about mm-hmm. real stuff. You know, yeah. especially when it comes to um, building and protecting our lives and the things that we have in mm-hmm. our communities, we mm-hmm. got to talk about uh, issues of our health um, yeah. as well. Um, mm-hmm. are, are there anything? I know you said you know you you had this surgery, you had to relearn how to walk. Is that what you? Is that what you were getting? So at? with the last surgery was brain surgery. So with mm-hmm. brain surgery, the worry was because of where it is, um, where it was. Um, the concern was um, my balance, my um, sight alignment, my mobility a little bit because I I was a little bit wobbly for quite some time until um, I got it together pretty much um, yeah. because of where the tumor was in my brain. So it controlled um, the mobility part of my brain. Those motor skills yeah. and whatnot. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I think a lot of people would just assume that oh you cut a chunk of your brain out you're gonna forget how to how to talk or forget mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, memories but yeah. you're saying that that's a section of your brain where they had to mess around and that controlled some of those motor skills like walking or, yeah yeah um, if I'm saying the right word so that's that's really interesting do you feel like you still have um, long term consequences or long term side effects from the surgery. Um, I feel like from all of the surgeries, it's kind of a long-term effect. Um, So the right side is where everything has happened. Right side of my brain, 
right side of my breast, right side of my, my lung. It's all been on the right side. Everywhere that I had surgery, I no longer have feeling. It's all nerve damage. Um, I can touch that part of my head. I can't necessarily feel it from my armpit all the way down the side till about here. I can't feel um, mm. to the touch at all. Um, mm -hmm. So I have to be mindful of me bumping into things, you know, different things like that because I, I can't necessarily feel that. Um, yeah. So it, it's a lot of different things. So just breathing, you know, alone. I wake up and I'm so grateful that I'm able to take a deep breath. Um, yeah. My voice had changed. My voice got a little bit raspier. Um, I'm, I'm not able to do a lot of things that I was able to do previously. Of course, I can push myself and condition myself to do those things, but just naturally and generally speaking, I get out of breath fast. Because um, you are missing a piece of your lung. Absolutely. Two thirds of my lung. I only have a little bit left there. I have a rib missing, you know, it's different things. And of course I have a lot of scarring as well. Um, we can push ourselves to do different things, but just right out of it. No, um, I, I forget a lot. Um, I don't remember a lot of things. Um, I personally feel like my, my side alignment is a little bit off, but you know, it's a lot of things that come with it, but you kind of got to take the good and the bad and just go with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Did they, did your surgeries impact your job at all? Um, so I was out for months at a time, um, three months for each surgery. With my breast mm -hmm. surgery, I wasn't at that job. Um, I was with Homeland Security. So with this one that I'm at now, I had my lung surgery last year. So I was out for three months, came back, started working. Um, I pretty much was on desk duty though. Um, and then turned around and had the brain surgery. Um, I was out for three months with that as well. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of a push myself type of person. So um even though I had the surgeries, as soon as they cleared me to come back, I was ready to come back. And my chief is like, you sure? you sure? And I'm like, put my ass out there. But still, he won't let me do too much. He, um, yeah. I'm inside for most of the part. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm glad that you, you're still employed. I know there's certain jobs that are like, well, if you're gone for too long, it doesn't matter yeah. what happened. Fortunately, we're going to find a way to, I had to push FMLA. you out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fortunately, I was able to get FMLA and stuff. So they that's that's good. That's, yeah. that's great. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you, you were good, at least in that regard. Yeah. Um, do you, do you have any other um, messages or anything like that, that you really want to um, continue to put out there just for anybody who's listening, who maybe has a parent, who's going through something like this, or maybe they're going through it themselves or, or otherwise. Um, so for people that have a loved one, um, that is fighting something like this, um, a, a lot of people, like for instance, I have, um, a supervisor that is battling breast cancer right now. And he expressed to me that he has a sister that's always on top of him. Like, you know, about being depressed and about, you need to be positive. You need to be positive. You need to be positive. Yes. It's 
we do need to be positive because, you know, your mindset plays a huge part of your health. But what people tend to forget is that's them trying to cope with what's happening to you. They're not the ones in that situation. So they need to be a bit more sensitive to the situation because they're not the ones dealing with that situation. So they have to be a bit more sensitive. Um, now to the people that are dealing with the situation, I'd like to say, you know, it's okay to have those downtimes. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself sometimes. It's okay to feel depressed at times. It's okay to feel at a loss. As long as you remember to pick yourself up and to not stay in that down state because, you know, feel what you need to feel, but get back out of it. Because again, your mind plays a huge role in your life period. And whatever we believe in our mind is going to project itself into the universe and into our bodies. Um, law of attraction, so to, speak, um, so to speak. And what we believe, it's really going to manifest itself. So if we believe that we are sick, our body is going to believe that we're sick and we're going to go into that sick state. So if you believe that you can overcome something and you believe that you are that 1% that they feel like, you know, only 1% of people can beat this, believe that 1%, you maybe can push yourself to be in that 1%. So feel what you need to feel, but come up out of it and progress on and just, just be grateful for what it is that you have. And that's just waking up every day because you don't have to. And even though people like us are surviving something so severe, it's easy as you being hit by a car. You never know. You know what I mean? Mm. I can have such a shitty ass health, but the person next to me get, get struck by a bus or get, get struck by fucking lightning or something or, you know, anything. You never know what your life expectancy is. None of mm. us know. So just live like today is your last and be happy and just try to live and express yourself with love at the mm. end of the day that's just really what it is yeah well wow thank you so much for for coming on caustic conversations gracing us with with your story um yeah. I, I i feel like i'm speaking for everybody but i'm speaking for myself i'm honored that you would Take the time out of your life. I know you got kids, you got a job, you got other yeah. things you could be doing. <laughs> Come on and share with us. Thank you. Um, how can people find you? I know you you do instruction. Mm -hmm. I know you do other stuff. How can people get a hold of you for um, for those things? Um, so I have Instagram. My Instagram is um, at <laughs> just money two a j u s t n e n i two a. Um, on there, I have a link for my email. You can email me, you can DM me, um, gumdropllc at yahoo.com, or you can just DM me, follow me. All right, all right. We'll go ahead and link all that in the bio um, okay. down below for those who want to go ahead and just click through, give you mm -hmm. a quick follow, um, shoot you an encouraging message, whatever it is that they want to do. Uh, yeah. Just be cool. Don't be, don't be dumb. Uh, mm -hmm. That said, Thank you so much for coming on. And of You're course, welcome. as always, keep it costly. Yeah.